You don't need special gadgets to be a hero. With unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere, the Capital One Quicksilver card makes you the hero of every purchase. Whether it's headphones, a lounge chair, or even a well-deserved massage, whatever the Quicksilver purchase, you're the hero. No fighting bad guys, getting in epic car chases, or parachuting out of buildings required. Simple, isn't it? The Capital One Quicksilver card. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. At Ferguson, your project is the company's priority. Whether you're building a new home or working on a remodel, the Ferguson team will be there to make sure everything runs smoothly from start to finish. Ferguson Associates are experts in bath, kitchen, and lighting products, and so much more. They can help with product selection, facilitating orders, and delivery coordination. They work with home builders and remodelers, designers, and homeowners to help make every project a success. Get started at ferguson.com slash build. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry. And so, uh, this is Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> I thought you were about to change the name of the show right there. No. On a whim. No. No? No. All right. That's very meaty and savory of you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you smell my juices? I'm cooking in them. You smell like uh, fish stock. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You know, I did a Don't Be Dumb on uh, ketchup, the origin of ketchup. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. And it actually... Oh, you saw that? Sure. You watched this? Of course I do. I had no idea. I'm your biggest fan. You're one of the 100. Well, no, I'm one of those people that's like, this guy's so dumb. What kind of... An, I don't <laughs> yeah. get it. I can't get through these. <laughs> Why is he acting like that? But I just keep watching them. I can't help it. So you saw the one about ketchup, uh-huh. and you know about ketchup. Yes. The Vietnamese fish sauce that actually serves as the basis for ketchup. Yes. The American condiment, which is not the number one selling condiment in America. Is it salsa? No. What is it? Mayonnaise. Oh, yes. Did you know that? No, well, but I no, love mayonnaise. Clearly you didn't. What kind? Dukes is your brain, right? Well, I'm Dukes, but uh, I'm just I'm a de- I find myself a defender of mayonnaise because my whole life people have just thought it was gross. Not everyone. You would do well in like France or Belgium, buddy. Yeah, like on a hamburger and a hot dog, people are like ugh, because I don't like ketchup and people think I'm weird. Oh no, you need some ketchup too. No, Not like that ketchup. much. I've also found recently, as a grown up adult, a real live one, mm-hmm. that like you can replace ketchup with tomatoes and it tastes maybe even better. Depending on the ketchup. You mean uh, on a burger? Yes. Instead of both. Right. You just mean no ketchup. Yeah. Boxes you can put in both. Sugar. I'm not I'm not opposed to it. No, oh. it just it it I've found and it was a big surprise to me. Mm-hmm. A really big surprise. Yes. That if you just put tomatoes, a good tomato on and no ketchup, you're actually creating the taste that you're looking for with ketchup that just misses it slightly. Right, because it's got more than tomatoes in it. Right. It's really, again, very surprising to me. Even though I realize, of course, that tomato is made from, or ketchup is made from tomatoes. Partially, sure. It's not like I haven't made that connection. Right. I just didn't realize how good just tomatoes were on a burger without ketchup. Yeah, I don't like raw tomatoes either, so I wouldn't do that. And you can't dip a french fry in a tomato. Well, no, I'm not opposed to ketchup. I'll still use ketchup. I hear you. Especially for dipping fries. I'm cool with that. It's I'm not weird. down in ketchup here is what I'm trying to say. I just think 
that tomatoes are great on a burger. But I also like mayo, too, I think is ultimately the point that started me off on this. Yeah, I like uh, tomato sauce, like red sauce, mm-hmm. but I don't like raw tomatoes or just whole tomatoes. They're slimy. Well, I, mean, I don't know. You're supposed to eat them like an apple or anything. Uh, if you've been doing that, I can understand why you don't like raw tomatoes. Some people do. Some people just slice them and uh, eat uh, them on a plate. Right. You're not just holding it in your hand and eating it like an apple. <laughs> what kind of monster does that? Uh, that's what I'm saying, <laughs> a monster. Kaiser Wilhelm II? Yeah, he was, he was known. All right. So all of that to say, umami. Umami. <laughs> oh, mama. This one's about umami. The, f- <laughs> the fifth flavor... Uh, the fifth beetle. Out of what they now say is six fat. Fat? Oh, um, carbon dioxide is also one, too. Oh, really? Huh? We supposedly, they found receptors that are tailored specifically to sensing carbon dioxide on the tongue, and that it ultimately, that makes it qualify as a taste. So they're going to be seven now? I think there's way more. I don't know why science has been so stingy or so reluctant to accept the idea that we have more than four flavor receptors or more four taste receptors. But umami was isolated in the in the beginning of the 20th century, and it wasn't for almost 80 years before the West finally accepted it. Uh, yeah, part of the reason is because it was the research was written in Japanese. Well, it's okay. That's maybe <laughs> something to do with it. Uh, and part of the issue was that um, it, 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 umami is very mild in taste. And when you have um, high concentrations of it to increase that flavor, you've got uh, salty and sour mixed in. Mm-hmm. So I think it just confounded the West. They're <laughs> like, what? We get sour. Yeah. We get salty. We get sweet for sure. <laughs> Why we even get... Bitter, but we don't get this other thing. Nope. And we're not going over five, so you better make this umami stuff good. That's what the West said. Dumb Western scientists and food scientists. So, Chuck, I think we let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Um, The Japanese are the ones who first discovered umami. That's right. comes from the word umai, uh, roughly translated as delicious. Uh, chefs, if you talk to a chef, umami's a big hot thing right now. It really is. Uh, they'll say maybe it's like a mushroomy thing. It's like a earthy. Uh, it's, it's, it is very subtle. Like I said, it's musty. Not, yeah. Musty, which doesn't sound appealing. No, but it also makes sweet different. That's umami's big, great quality. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it was hard for the West to accept it is umami's big thing is synergizing. Yeah, it's a supporting cast member almost. Yeah, it it takes yes, it is. It's like um Bud Bundy. <laughs> okay. Not yeah. a leading guy, uh-huh. but you put him in an ensemble, he's going to bring everybody else up. It's what he's known for. I would give a million American dollars to be inside your brain during that 5ish seconds <laughs> of you spinning around. Searching for a supporting cast member and ending up at Bud Bundy. <laughs> will you come back in 20 years and give me a million dollars and I will let you? Man, that would be amazing. So um, with like salty, sour, we get again, we get those things. They stand on their own. Umami actually has a very mild and not necessarily like pleasurable flavor 
on its own. Yeah, you don't want something that's like, oh, this is just umami flavored. Right. But it is almost like it's designed to interact with other flavors, especially salty and especially sweet. Agreed. And umami can even interact with itself. Whoa. And all of a sudden, it takes what was just like a ho-hum day and turns it into... (laughs) The greatest day of your life with, with one bite of shiitake mushroom. With some hot umami on umami action. <laughs> uh, so it is nothing new, obviously. It's not like you can just identify a new taste. Um, it's been around. Um, the Romans and the Greeks before them enjoyed something called garum. And that is a sauce that, uh, boy, you want to talk about how you find something weird food-wise? Yeah. They were gutting fish and they said, let's take this fish guts and blood. And let's salt it and leave it out in the sun for three months. <laughs> and see what happens. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and then you have to eat it. No, you eat it. No, you. Uh, and someone eventually ate it. Uh, they strained the liquid from the top of it, and they said, boy, this sauce is, this is garum sauce. This is good stuff. It's delicious. Garum means delicious in ancient Roman. I think so. And it is, uh, that was umami uh, personified, um, because how umami was discovered uh, in 1907, there was a brilliant chemist named uh, Kikune Aikida. Is that right? Uh, Kikune, that A-E. Uh-huh. It's got an A-E. extra little pop to it. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, you did it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a chemist, and uh, he worked at the Imperial University. I'm sorry, he was, yeah, he was a professor at the Imperial University of Tokyo. And he was perplexed that he tasted something one day and said, this is not any of those four flavors. No, no, no. Like, I know this is different. He was all about the dashi. Dashi is the basis of miso soups, lots of other stuff. But basically, it's a fish stock made from, I think, tuna flakes and um, kombu, which is uh, dried kelp. Yes, and there are all kinds of recipes for a dashi base. And it's in a lot of things from sauces mm-hmm. and uh, like soba noodle sauces to, like you said, miso. Yeah. Um, a really, really big ingredient in Japanese cuisine. Right. And this guy was like, this little boy loves his dashi and I want to know exactly what is making it so wonderful. So since he was a chemist, he took, I think, something like 12 kilograms of dashi and boiled it down. Eight, ten of them. Isolated some stuff. The first thing that came out were some obvious ones that he clearly discarded is not responsible for umami because there were salts. He's like, no, it's not that. It's not salt. We understand salt. It's not salt. I know for a fact it's not salt. What else is in here? He starts sorting through it, right? Well, didn't he separate the dashi into its parts and then break those down? Yeah. Okay. So I just I jumped ahead a step. Gotcha. I so would make he, a terrible chemist. He's on, uh, he's on kelp at this point, one of the ingredients. Okay. And so with the kelp is where he found those two salts. And you're right. He was like, well, I know these flavors and they're not what I've been experiencing on my tongue. No, they're old news. Old news. So he looked a little further and he found, well, wait a minute. What is this? It's glutamic acid. Yeah. And he's like, maybe, but glutamic acid has a sour taste. And that's weird. Like it it can't be glutamic acid. It doesn't quite make sense. So he added some more stuff. Came up with a chemical reaction, and what popped out on the other end is what you and I call monosodium glutamate. MSG. And he figured out that it's not glutamic acid, it's not the salts, 
but it's actually glutamate. But then he figured out even further, he's like, glutamate, that doesn't make any sense. Like, glutamate, glutamate, doesn't work. Then he realized it's not the protein that's giving it the taste. It's the amino acids that actually make up proteins that give umami its taste. Boom. So glutamate, I'm sorry, is an amino acid, right? Right. <laughs> and that's one of the things that gives umami its taste. It was the first thing that was discovered um, to give umami its taste. Yeah, and that was the kelp. So, you know, Dashi has his different components. So he had a uh, student who said, you know what, let me get that the dried uh, tuna flakes. Mm-hmm. Um, bonito flakes. Yeah, bonito. Well, delicious. There's different kinds, but bonito is definitely one of them. Um and he says, let me identify these components. And what he found was something called, uh, you want to try that one? Inosinate? Is that right? Yeah, I think that is right, man. It's a nucleic acid, like you say. Yes. So he's like, boom, I've got uh, number two. And then in 1960, another scientist named Akira uh, Kuninaka. Nice. He worked for Yamasa, the famous soy saucier. And now you're just showing off. <laughs> he was. Um and he went on to work in pharmaceuticals. It was interesting. Oh, he's a chemist. Yeah, but it's like you work for soy sauce and then you go to work for a pharmaceutical company. <laughs> right. I'm good at both things. Uh, but you're right. It's all just chemistry. Sure. Um, so he said, you know what? I can identify a third uh, thing called guanylate. It's another nucleotide in those shiitake mushrooms you were talking about. Yeah. And it's not like just bonito flakes, uh, kombu, and shiitake mushrooms are the only things that produce umami taste, yeah. these are just the three things that those guys went to town and isolated different stuff out of, right? Yeah, I always want to see Bonita Applebaum when you say Bonita. <laughs> Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. After all these years. They keep making refer- They keep making appearances in episodes lately. Oh, yeah, they have been, huh? You, you mentioned them in Hula Hoops? Yeah. This one? You can't remember which one we talked about uh, the scenario? Oh, what's the what's the what's the scenario? Right. Uh, you know what, my friend Justin, whom you also know, mm-hmm. um, his mother actually left her wallet in El Segundo. No way. And he even called me. He was like, "Dude, guess what happened? <laughs> my mother left her wallet in El Segundo." That's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. Uh, we should probably take a break. Yeah, and then we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the science of taste right after this. Yes. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. Oh, my friends love it. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great. 
but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. So we have done an episode on taste that was great. It was great. It's it, called Taste and How It Works from July 2010. Right. Highly recommend it. Yeah. But we're going to go over it a little bit more here. Well, yeah. I think if we're going to talk about umami, we'd be big jerks if we just assumed you know everything there is to know about taste. Yeah. we got to talk about what's called the gustatory system. Okay. So um, when we're talking about taste specifically, that's separate from flavor, which we'll get to. But taste yeah. begins on the tongue. Sure. Right, and on the tongue, you're going to find what we like to call taste buds, or papillae. The papillae have taste buds on them, right? Yes, there are uh, three main types of papillae. Uh, you have the fun- fungi form, yes, mushroom shaped, sure. Uh, the foliate; uh, those are the ridges and grooves at the back of the tongue. Okay, and the uh, circumvallate. And those are circular at the front uh, front end of the tongue. Right. And then some papillae have a couple of taste buds. Some have hundreds of taste buds. And then it, when you look into the taste buds themselves, um, they have receptor cells. And what's interesting is when you think about a taste bud, you'd be like, oh, well, there's a salty taste bud, sweet taste bud, umami, umami, sweet, sour, bitter, fat. Right? Carbon dioxide. So that's not the case. No. As a matter of fact, a taste bud has different receptor cells, and these different receptor cells can be tuned to accept or sense different types of taste. Yeah. Wasn't it the shape, if I remember correctly? That Well, that was with uh, smell. Oh. But smell and taste are closely related. Right. And uh, we should say that's a spoiler alert for the taste episode. We're not 100% sure how we sense taste yeah. or smell. Um, but yes, the, the, the predominant theory is that the, a specific type of odorant or taste molecule will interact with a specific type of receptor. And when it does, the chemical in that molecule, that food molecule, mm-hmm. um, unlocks that receptor. And by doing that, it's translated into an electrical impulse. Boom. So you chew your food up. It's uh, spitty and saliva covered, yep. and it breaks it down, coats your tongue, and that's when that transduction, uh, those electrical impulses are sent uh, to the NST, the solitary tract of the brain. Sorry, the nucleus of the solitary tract of the brain. Yeah. That's where it all happens. That's when it puts all these different tastes together and says, delicious, I like this. Mm-hmm. Or, more to the point, that's probably going to kill you, so stop eating that. Yeah. And like we said, taste is different than flavor. Taste is just one aspect of flavor. For uh, a food item or really anything to have a flavor, it includes not just the taste, but also the smell, mm-hmm. the sight of it, the temperature of it, yeah. how it feels. Texture. Is it firm? Is it a little too gelatinous? Um, these are all things that your brain takes into account, um, including things like memories that you form from having it before. Yeah. Cotton candy when I was a kid gives me great memories. Yeah. So that plays a part in flavor. Exactly. Like you can, like it, re- it releases some different aspect of it that only you can experience that flavor. Yeah. Like if you had a, a cotton candy jelly bean, it would conjure up that memory and that would be part of the flavor right. experience. Yeah. Or if it's one of your past lives. So that's kind of the science of taste. And with umami specifically, um, 
again, one of the things that the West was having trouble with is accepting that umami was a real thing was that there wasn't any um, what's called psychophysical evidence that umami was its own taste. That's right. For a long time, they thought it was just a a component of salty taste because monosodium glutamate is a type of salt, right? Yeah. It's a salt-protein combination that makes MSG. And for many, many years, this was the only... um, this is the only source of umami taste. But finally, in the 80s, once they had the first international symposium on umami, it was a real thing. I bet that was a party. Um, the, uh, I'll bet it was, too, because it was in Hawaii. Sure. And the Japanese and Americans love Hawaii. So I'll bet everybody was partying down there. They started to do studies in the early 80s, and they found, oh, actually, no, there are specific receptor cells on the human tongue, and it turns out not just in human tongues, but mostly human tongues, that are designed or geared toward accepting or sensing umami tastes. That's right. Those are the G-protein coupled receptors, GPCRs, and uh, that is for sweet, bitter, and umami. And uh, sour and salty, those are a little different. Those sort of flow uh, through ion channels, Mm -hmm. uh, which is way over my head to be honest. Well, it's just like if a molecule has a positive charge or a negative charge, if it's a, if it's a positive ion, it has a positive charge, it's not going to make it through all sorts of the channels. It's only going to make it through positive channels. It's not it's simple. I know, but as far as relating that to a taste, it's just sort of all I can think of as mayonnaise. Well, that's the whole thing. It's like you said, it's like tra- <laughs> it's like your brain just turns to mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah. It's transduction is taking an elect- a chemical and turning it into an electrical charge. Yeah. I just think that's endlessly fascinating. Oh, sure. The senses and how they work, it's like, it's amazing. But not just that, electricity and electric, uh, electrical generation. Like, remember that episode? Oh, electricity? Yeah. Maybe one of our best, if you ask me. Agreed. All right. So what we, ha- what we have here are three kinds of receptor cells that they know are, uh, that, that respond to this combination that makes up, uh, what MSG is. I'm sorry, what umami is. It's that, uh, Inosinate, the guanylate, and the MSG, and what they think is that they actually hold on to these these compounds, hold on longer, mm-hmm. which is why you get these interesting combinations when you have like uh, cheese with an apple or cheese on an apple pie. Right. It takes sweet and like doesn't just make it sweeter. It makes it like sweet in a different way, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the same thing again when, when you mix together different types of either, um, amino acids or nucleic acids that create an umami taste, they magnify this umaminess of this, this meatiness of the whole thing. Mm. And, um, also with, I believe, salty too. Yeah. U- umami and salty mixed together. Um, it, the fact that it, it hangs on to that, that, molecule longer yeah. and it just leaves that charge going, uh-huh. then that sweet can come and go, but it's it's affected by it. Food science is so interesting. It is. And we're going to talk a little more about food science and evolution right after this. Starfish. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. All right, so here's one thing I didn't get, and I reread this a few times. I get the first part of this, which is as follows, is that people have long thought that tastes had a part in evolution and that we were just wired to know that if you, something sweet is probably okay to eat and that will give us nutrition, right. something really bitter may be dangerous to eat that might be poisonous. And, of course, there's exceptions to all of this. Yeah, yeah. Those are pretty good general rules when it comes to uh evolution. Right, that that was the evolution explanation for the sense of taste, right? Yeah, but what I don't get in, is where in here does it explain the uh, evolutionary uh, method of umami, like what role it played? I got this. You ready? Well, is it this part about cooking? Yes. Oh, well, it was very poorly stated. It really was, but it's really interesting it once, you, once interesting. you realize this. that So you said that umami is is like one of the newer tastes or something like that. It actually is. Yeah, they couldn't figure out, like, what part did this have in evolution. No, but even before that, like, if you look at it evolutionarily speaking, it's it's actually very old. Supposedly, the receptors are very old, like 400 million years old or something yeah. like that. But the idea that we can taste umami or us tasting umami is very actually fairly recent because umami is released by cooking food. Yeah. Like if you eat a bunch of raw hamburger, that's mm. it's not going to be umami tasting. It's not going to taste very good. But you cook that hamburger and you have molecularly changed its composition. You've unlocked some of the proteins into its constituent amino acids. And all of a sudden, you've got an umami taste. Yeah, it's and- like uh, caramelizing an onion is completely different than the taste of a raw onion or right. even a... a- just regular grilled onion. Yeah. And the big mystery of all this, evolutionarily speaking, is that what you're gaining or one of the biggest sources of umami taste is glutamate. Well, that's great, but the human body produces tons of glutamate, so it wouldn't make sense that we would have a taste receptor to find it in nature right? because we got enough in our body. Well, you need other essential amino acids, and it, f- it figures that the best way to get u- amino acids is to cook 
or ferment food. Yeah, you want you need you need fire. Because amino acids can be bound to proteins. Yeah. And we don't absorb them as well or our body spends a lot more energy uh, breaking them down and digesting them than if we cook them or if we ferment them. So and man invents fire, man starts to cook food, man advances more rapidly. Yes, that's one of the ideas that um why our brain it developed as well as it did, or we became as intelligent as we did, was from cooking food. So we were able to um, break down our food a lot more easily and gain from it, absorb it, and um, basically grow huge brains. That's awesome. That it came from cooking. And wh- where did we get omami taste? From cooked or fermented food, where these proteins have been broken down into much more easily absorbed amino acid constituents. Man, I like that. I agree. I feel like I, I just made it confusing, though. Did it come across? No, it's, it's it totally makes sense. We learn how to cook food, and that put us at the the head of the evolutionary ladder. Right. And umami taste comes from cooked or fermented food. Yeah. Very clear. Uh, what is not clear, or maybe it is clear, is MSG bad for you? A lot of people say it makes me dizzy, or it makes my heart flutter, or or right. you know the MSG crash after you go to the Chinese food buffet. Well, there's actually something called Chinese food syndrome. Yeah, not <laughs> uh, not true. <laughs> Apparently, it's a myth. Supposedly, yeah, it's a supposedly culturally bound syndrome, where like very few other cultures outside of the United States or the West even think of the idea that MSG can make you sick. Yeah. And that it's apparently a psychosomatic reaction where you expect MSG is going to make you sick, so you get sick. Yep, that's one uh, explanation. Uh, maybe your body or our bodies are just different in how we uh, process and metabolize MSG. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you have OD'd a little bit. Too much of anything can be a bad thing. Right. Uh, could be all these things. But what science is saying is, there is no evidence that MSG is bad for you, quote unquote. Right, and apparently, study after study found that people that you, that MSG doesn't cause these things. Yeah, it's it's weird. So get off the couch, lazy. You're just looking for an excuse to not cut the grass. And so MSG uh, again, it has kind of a bad <laughs> it has kind of a bad rap here in the U.S., but it's everywhere. And it was actually one of the first things that. Um, Akita? Uh, yeah, Professor Akita um, did was he figured out a way to patent extracting monosodium glutamate from wheat, which is where it's yeah. found much more abundantly than in like kelp. And package it into a seasoning. And he, he had no ill will. He's like, this is great. This can make that boring dish like taste better. Right. That healthy boring dish tastes better. Exactly. So it's not, it's ironic then that people think it's bad for you when in fact when he packaged it he was like this is going to be good for you yeah it's going to make this thing that's good for you taste even better and our country is going to be very healthy right yeah but it's hard to find you said it was in everything but it's disguised in ingredients right. yeah but again stealthily because msg has a bad rap here in the west yeah they should just put msg right they they do sometimes for the most part though they will call it something like hydrolyzed wheat protein yeah because remember it can be extracted from wheat mm-hmm. um, sometimes they'll call it just natural flavors yeah because be- all these things are natural exactly uh, what else texturized vegetable protein <laughs> yeah autolyzed yeast extract right uh, yeah or just natural flavors so if you see that that can be a lot of things though but just natural flavors sure yeah you don't know what you're eating. No. But 
there are some upsides to using this MSG. It's actually it actually can be used in the way that Professor Akeda envisioned it, which is taking stuff and making it slightly healthier. Actually, mm-hmm. when you have um, when you use certain like a uh, potassium chloride rather than sodium chloride, yeah. to make MSG, you can actually replace the sodium in um, a, a dish. So if you have a sodium problem. You can use some of this stuff. Yeah, or the, hey, how about that uh, low-fat food that didn't taste so good? Add a little MSG. It tastes better. <laughs> right. Although recent medical research suggests that you should be not eating low-fat food, that regular fat food is not bad for you. Or hey, old person, you don't taste so good anymore. And you take medication that even dampens that. Right. Why don't you throw some MSG on there? Bring why, back, why don't you, old bring person? Bring those taste buds back to life. Right. You know? Yes. So, Chuck, um, whether MSG is a bad rap or not, it's definitely all over the place. Uh, and it is making things taste good, in my opinion. Umami's here to stay. It is. But there's other ways to, to get an umami flavor out of food. And this, this article actually has some helpful tips for your cooking if you want to go and cook and get an uh, uh, umami taste. You ever been to Umami Burger? No, I haven't. It sounds awesome. It's good. I like it. It sounds like uh, in L.A. You can make one at home with uh, some mushrooms. Yeah, Umami Burger is a chain. uh, I don't know where they have them, but I had it in Los Angeles. And they add uh, powdered mushroom and seaweed to the beef with a little soy sauce. You don't even know what you're eating except that it tastes good. Right. You know, you're not like, hmm, I can detect the mushroom and seaweed in this burger. <laughs> right. It's just umami flavored. Umami. Um, and you know, it's interesting. There's this, uh, oh, I think it's called like umami information.com or something like that. Mm-hmm. A really interesting site. But they point out that, um, um, while you associate umami with, uh, Asian cooking, it's actually found all over the world. Sure. Like in Italy with tomato sauces. Yeah. And ketchup in the United States, uh, in cheeses in Europe. Um, in West Africa, they have something called, um, oh, what is it called? Sambara, I think. It's kind of like a miso in West Africa. That sounds kind of delicious. Yeah. Sambala. That sounds good. I just like the sounds of it. Exactly. So it's it's interesting that like people have been cooking with umami stuff long before we ever knew the word umami, um, and it's been around the world too. Uh, caramelizing onions we mentioned in like butter, right? There's nothing better. Um, what else? Um, you can put Parmesan cheese rinds into a super stew, and it'll umami that thing up. Oh, that's a good one. It's, um, yeah. If you're making a stock, uh, use bones of an animal. And supposedly, if you're not against that kind of thing. <laughs> the guy who invented veal stock is reputed to have believed that there was a fifth taste that had yet been unidentified back in the 19th century. He's like, I've just boiled this calf. He's like, there's, and something, I'm onto something. there's something going on here besides the, the, the big four. Wow. Nobody believed him. Uh, if you're cooking with mushrooms, and I, I recommend this with all vegetables, so roast those things a little bit first. It yeah. brings out all kinds of flavors. And it makes your brain bigger. Like if you, if you go to make an omelet, don't just throw raw peppers and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Cook that stuff up a little bit on the side, then add that to the egg mixture. <laughs> it makes the world of difference. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm big I on think my omelets. Everybody should watch Internet Roundup just just to get an idea of what like our little gesticulations are. 
Like when you're talking about like cooking peppers on the side yeah. and throw them in there, like just the, the, you're making very cute little hand gestures over there. Well, I always uh, joke with Emily that I'm going to open an omelet stand on the beach one day. It's my retirement job. Nice. She's like, why an omelet stand on the beach? I was like, because no one's ever done it. No, they really haven't. You ever go to the beach? You're laying there in the hot sun. You're like, I could use an omelet. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. I think I just want my retirement job to be very slow-paced and not busy. Right. That's what I think. And you'll get to eat omelets. You got anything else? Um, no. Cooking with wine is a good one, too. Yeah, that's umami city. Um, no. Just go forth and try umamiing up your dishes, and you will be happy. You will be happy. Say it's us. It's, it'll be an indefinable quality, but you'll know it's umami. Yes. Should be something about it. Can't put my finger on it. You'll say this stuff is umai, <laughs> which again means delicious, roughly in Japanese. Oh my! If you want to know more about umami, you can type that word in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. Uh, and since I said umami, it's time again for listener mail. Uh, I'm just going to call this a nice, simple thank you from a listener. Those are nice. Uh, sometimes it is nice, you know. Yeah. It's from Meredith from Granite Falls, Minnesota, and she's uh, just thanking us because she has a boring uh, summer job. She said, I work at a hospital, and I scan a bunch of old files into an external hard drive. So what I do is I remove a lot of staples, stare at the scanner, and I wait for it to be done over and over. Oh, man. Can you imagine that it's like, oh, we need to digitize all these records. Let's hire someone to do that. We're <laughs> uh, so- job creators. Yeah, so God bless you, Meredith, for doing that. Uh, I found listening to eight hours of music just wasn't doing the trick anymore. Then I discovered the wonderful world of podcasts, and you guys are my all-time faves. Uh, you guys are so funny, and I love all the dumb jokes you make. I don't know if they're dumb. I think, like, groundbreaking is a better word. Yeah? Uh, they really make my day, guys. And even if I don't understand all the tangents you go off on, because I'm only 21, and don't understand most of these references you make to movies or pop culture things from decades gone by. Uh, I still enjoy that the podcast is more of a conversation between you guys than just strictly reading from a script. Oh, yeah. We don't even have a script. Clearly. That would be the worst script ever. <laughs> it would be. Um, yeah. One of these days, I'll have a real story to share directly related to a recent show. But for now, I just want to say thank you so much and keep up the amazing work. And that is uh, Best Wishes from Meredith. Meredith, thank you. And she has a postscript that says, I absolutely love it when Josh, uh, Josh calls Chuck- Chuckers. Don't even know why. It just makes me smile every time. Nice. And then it just has a ring. Chuckers. It's a fun word. It is. It's like umami. Well, we said umami a lot. I wonder how many times. I don't know. We should have an umami counter on the website. <laughs> yeah, we should. Ding, ding. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I don't know if we are familiar with the technology that could do that, though. And at the end, it just turns into a big pile of uh, salty, dried fish guts. I seriously am making some top-notch miso soup. I've been inspired to. Oh, you're going to make it from your own stock and everything? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. I've gotten pretty good at um, hot and sour soup. Yeah? But I make it from a mix and just add some stuff to it. This I'm going to make from, like, dashi and miso. From scratch? Well, I'm not going to, like, ferment the soybeans or anything like that. You're going to make your own dashi? No, I'm going to buy dashi. You should make your own dashi. I'm not going to make my own dashi. Do you know how bad my apartment would smell if I, like, fermented and then boiled down fish just to make the stock? You need crazy? A, you need a spice kitchen. I do need a spice kitchen now that you mention it. Yeah. 
Um, no, but I will let you know how the miso soup turns out. All right. Okay. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human-moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.